play the ten-foot flute, you brooding owners. Welcome to the Blind Boy Podcast. It's the 1st of February. And I've been noticing the promise of sunlight. Climate change can't fuck with sunlight. The evenings are ever so slightly longer. Just a little bit longer. But even better than the length of the day is the quality of light. It feels like someone opened the curtains a little bit. The purple darkness of winter is leaving and there's a fluorescent sparkle to the evenings which just make me feel optimistic. That's what spring is supposed to do. That's what the 1st of February is. It's spring. Spring is all about optimism and hope. And the biggest symbol of spring in Ireland for sure is the cross of St. Bridget. And I saw my first one yesterday in the door of a shop. The cross of St. Bridget, it's handmade from straw. And it doesn't look like a cross, like a crucifix. Technically it's technically it's a swastika. It's a cross on its side, it's kind of diagonal. And when I say swastika there, you might immediately think of Hitler. The Nazis ruined the swastika. The Nazis didn't come up with the swastika. They appropriated it and made it a symbol of hate. But swastikas have been around for a thousand years. They're present in Eastern religions to mean rebirth. And St. Bridget's cross is the Irish swastika, really. And we make them, and I say we, because every Irish schoolchild had to make St. Bridget's crosses at this time of year. When you were six or seven in school, the teacher would bring in a lot of straw and you'd learn how to fold and make a St. Bridget's cross. But we would have been told about this in Christian context. Like I remember our teacher told us, even though I think this might have been wrong, you're making a St. Bridget's cross today because St. Bridget used this cross to teach the Irish about Christianity in the way that St. Patrick used a shamrock to teach the Irish about Christianity. But the symbol of the St. Bridget's Cross, it's most likely way before Christianity. It's a pagan, pre-Christian thing that the Irish would make. And in February, and around St. Bridget's Day, people would hang a St. Bridget's Cross over their door to protect the house from fire, or to protect it from evil spirits and to to reflect and wish in the optimism of the new year. But I was thinking back today, when was the last time I made a St. Bridget's Cross? I must have been six or seven years of age. And then a memory came back to me. So, in my school, when we were about 15, 15 or 16, secondary school, so at this point I'm, I'm not interested in school at all. I'm interested in being a ball boy. So, solvent abuse was quite popular when I was a teenager. Now, I'm not advocating for solvent abuse. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying when I was a teenager, solvent abuse was in vogue. Whether that be sniffing deodorant, lighter fluid, or petrol. But if you were a teenager and you were trying to rebel 
and you wanted to communicate this rebelliousness to other people, to show how crazy you are, how hard you are. You would abuse solvents, which is an incredibly dangerous thing to do. And as a result of peer pressure, I would have went along with it. Now, I was never really into abusing solvents. I'd be the person who would pretend. If the other lads were passing around lighter fluid or petrol inside in a coke bottle, I'd pretend to sniff it. I really didn't want to fully inhale solvent and become inebriated. It was frightening to me and it didn't smell nice and it just seemed dangerous and wrong. But I was 15 and to say no would have meant getting picked on or getting called names so I had to figure out a middle ground. How do I pretend? Because I'd see some of the other lads after sniffing petrol and it wasn't pretty. They'd go unconscious for a little time. It was quite like a very extreme drunkness and then once they came out of it after about 10 minutes they'd report the auditory or visual hallucinations they had and if there was no solvents then you'd have to do a thing called the American Dream. The American Dream was weird. That was where you'd try to get high off your own brain by holding your breath while someone punched you into the chest. Now when it came to the American Dream, that's when I flat out chickened out. That's when I chickened. I never did it. I was like, no, no, this seems... Because I was mad anxious, you see. This doesn't seem right. I don't think making myself faint and then hallucinating off my own brain while you punch me into the chest. That might sound like crack to ye. That, I don't like the sound of this. I'm just going to chicken out of this and you're going to have to call me names. I'm not doing the American dream. And then, of course, there was poppers. Very rare. But someone managed to get a bottle of poppers. And poppers, and I guarantee you, if you went to an all-boys school, this experience was replicated. Poppers never lasted long as a social phenomenon because then someone would say, do you know what poppers are for? Gay men use those to make their arseholes massive. So then poppers became gay and everyone would go back to sniffing deodorant or choking each other. And I'd love to know why it was called the American Dream. There's nothing on the internet for that. That's pre-internet Irish oral culture. I'm guessing some teenage boy in his bedroom was incredibly bored. Unbelievably bored because the internet didn't exist yet. So he decided, I've nothing to do so I'm going to choke myself until I faint and hallucinate. And he did it and woke up and in a moment of divine inspiration decided to call it the American dream. There was no TikTok. There was no internet. So this is what teenage boys did in the early 2000s that occupy their time they abused solvents or made each other faint and again I have to say even though most of you are adults I'm not advocating for any of this this is dumb stupid dangerous shit I'm just recounting a cultural artifact it's like talking about chicken fillet rolls except they're not handing out any 2FM radio shows for talking about solvent abuse and choking yourself So one day in school, when I was 15 or 16, and it must have been this time, it must have been right now, 
the beginning of February, and I'll tell you why. One day, we decided we're not coming in after lunch. We don't want to go into class after lunch. We want to go mitching. Mitching means, because I think it might be Limerick specific, bunking off school, playing hockey, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Me and a few of the lads decided we don't want to go back to school. But the thing is, you can't go home because you're 15 or 16. Your parents will be like, why are you home from school? You can't really walk around the streets because you're clearly 15 or 16 in your school uniform. So if someone sees you, they'll ring the school. So when you're at that age, when you want a mitch from school, you have to find a place to hide. You don't want to be in class, so you have to go and hide. So in my school, the tradition was, if you were 15 or 16 and you wanted to bunk off school, you went to a bird sanctuary and sniffed petrol. That's what you did, because there was a bird sanctuary quite close to the school and loads of bushes and trees that you could hide in. And there was nothing to do there, so you went there to abuse solvents. So one day, that's what we did. Me and three or four of the lads went to this bard sanctuary to hide in reeds in a marsh and sniff lighter fluid or petrol or whatever it was. Now, I, I didn't, I, again, I didn't want to do the solvent abuse bit. I wasn't there for that. I was just simply glad to not be in the classroom learning business studies or maths or whatever. So we would have went to the bard sanctuary and then everyone was passing around the bottle of petrol or whatever it was. The other lads would have been out of their minds, hoofing, and I was just pretending. But the thing is, we thought we were pure clever. Oh, we're hiding in the bard sanctuary, no one's ever going to find us. But like, teachers are smart. The teachers know th- this is what happens. If, if, if someone's missing from class, especially if they have a reputation... For being poorly behaved. If they're missing from class. We know where they are. They're in the bard sanctuary. Sniffing petrol. That's where they are. So we're there. Hiding in all these. Fucking reeds and bulrushes. Getting the bottoms of our school pants wet. And we hear the sound. Of our vice principal. Who happened to be called ducks. Because when he spoke. He sounded like a duck quacking. Lads. Lads. Where are you going lads? Lads, lads, where are you lads? He sounded like that. (laughs) And that's why he was called Ducks. And the thing is, if you're a teenager, wildly hallucinating on petrol, in a bird sanctuary, surrounded by actual ducks, and your vice principal is called Ducks, and sounds like a duck, and you're having full-on solvent-induced auditory hallucinations... That's very complex cognitive gymnastics there to try and rationalise all that. So we're there hiding in, in bushes and we can hear Lads, lads, we know that alright, Dox is here and he's shouting for us. We're going to get fucking caught. What are we going to do? We're going to get caught. Now the lads I was with were high on petrol but I wasn't. And to be honest it didn't matter. If we all got caught, as far as my parents would be concerned, I was on petrol too. We are all on petrol. And you're not afraid of getting caught mitching from school. 
you're afraid of getting caught mitching from school to sniff petrol because that's expulsion behavior that would get you expelled so i'm fully sober and then i start thinking fuck fuck what are we gonna do what are we going to do we're gonna get caught because he's here he knows we're here we can only hide in these reeds for so long before he finds us so he's going to find us i've already accepted this so i get thinking and i look around and i look around at all the reeds and i say to the lads Let's start making St. Bridget's crosses. Let's start making St. Bridget crosses so that when he catches us, when the vice principal catches us and says, you're down here in the bird sanctuary sniffing petrol, we'll say, no, we're not. Okay, we're Mitch in school, but we only came here to get bulrushes to make St. Bridget's crosses. So we start frantically grabbing reeds and rushes and tearing them apart start wrapping them around each other and I'm trying to remember back fuck it they taught me this in school they taught me this when I was seven and I managed to make a a half it was shit a half convincing St. Bridget's Cross and I'm looking at it in my hands going okay it's terrible but clearly I'm trying to make a St. Bridget's Cross here and then I looked up at the two lads and let me tell you this you cannot make a St. Bridget's Cross if you've been inhaling petrol They looked like puppets with someone moving their hands with the fluffy bits from the top of the bulrush, the bit that looks like a sausage. The fluff from all that all over their faces and hair. But we didn't get caught. We didn't get caught. Docs gave up. He didn't find us. But it was a pretty good solution. And I reckon if we did get caught, at least me having that shit attempt at a St. Bridget's cross in my hand would have been a good enough excuse to explain why I was in the bird sanctuary and I wasn't in school and that would have been the difference between an expulsion and a suspension so that must have been this time it must have been at this time of year if I was thinking of St. Bridget's crosses actually earlier there I said uh, they don't bring you an RTE for talking about solvent abuse but I just remembered there like fucking 14 years ago 2009 one of the first ever sketches that I wrote for television called The Rubber Bandit's Guide to Head Shops. I was filming around that area with an RTE crew and we actually shot that sketch which is me and Mr. Chrome in a hedge taking drugs that don't exist yet and we actually filmed it in the Solvent Abuse Bard Sanctuary and I'd imagine we would have chosen that location in the moment for that very reason because of the mythology of this bird sanctuary and its relationship with solvent abuse. So I take it back, talking about solvent abuse will get you on RTE. And a final disclaimer, just in case someone's listening to this who's under the age of 18. Like, I believe in the decriminalisation of drugs. I think like how they do it in Portugal or in Portland in America, I think that's the right way to do it decriminalise all drug use and take a health based approach to drug use there's never ever a reason or excuse to abuse solvents genuinely petrol lighter fluid whatever you can literally die it it can literally kill you just doing it once you can die and the American dream and these are legal solvents and choking yourself are legal 
but they both cut off oxygen to the brain. I wish when I was a teenager someone educated us about this but yeah you can literally die on the spot from abusing solvents. Forget about it. Go for a run. There's some free head chemicals. Go for a run. But this episode I want to speak about St. Bridget. I want to speak about St. Bridget because she's utterly fascinating. And what excites me about St. Bridget is like it's St. Bridget's Day next week, next Monday. And in 2023, this is the first year that we're making it a bank holiday, that we're making it a public holiday in 2023. But what I adore about Bridget is when I say St. Bridget, you'd assume, oh, a saint, a Christian saint. But Bridget goes back way before Christianity. The celebration of Bridget might be between four and six thousand years old. Bridget is both a pagan goddess and a Christian saint. And she's like a superposition between the two. Not strictly Christian, not strictly pagan. The lines are blurred. A lot like St. Bridget's Cross which conveniently works as a a Christian symbol for the stations of the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but it existed before that as a pagan symbol. Now, I'm not a historian or a folklorist. I'm I'm an artist who is Irish, and I'm absolutely fascinated with Irish mythology. I'm, I'm fascinated. Not because of reasons of nationality, I'm fascinated with Irish mythology for environmental reasons. Here are stories that come from the landscape, that come from the grass and the air and the animals and the environment of Ireland. And the story of St. Bridget is a mythology about springtime. It's about exactly what I mentioned at the start of this podcast. I'm starting to notice the quality of light change. Things are a little bit brighter. The buds will start appearing on trees. Little animals will start getting born. The days get longer. The optimism of new life. Springtime. Springtime in Ireland. That's what St. Bridget is about. And of course then the sad thing is... Like it's 2023 and this is the first time we're making St. Bridget's Day a bank holiday... But here's this mythology that's thousands of years old. This story about the cycle of spring. Nature, which repeats itself perfectly every single year. As identical as the year before. The fucking cycle of life. Now we're getting to the point where that's being interrupted by climate change. The frogs woke up a month ago. I should be hearing the dawn chorus of the birds in a couple of weeks. I've been hearing the dawn chorus of birds at six in the morning intermittently throughout winter because it's been warmer and the birds get confused. The only thing I can trust is the light. Climate change isn't going to fuck with the rotation of the earth and the length of the days, but it fucks with the behaviour of the world of biodiversity. It fucks with animals' behaviour. It interrupts the temperature of the soil, how things grow. I don't know what spring is going to be like in 20 years time. These Irish mythological stories that are told around the predictability of seasons won't resonate as perfectly 
when the seasons get fucked up. So today, the 1st of February, is when the pagan Irish festival of Imbolc begins. It means the start of spring. And it's a very optimistic festival. Now we don't celebrate Imbolc now, because it's forgotten. We celebrate St Bridget's Day. But Imbolc in Ireland, we don't know how old it is. It could be 6,000 years old. Here's what I do know. Up in the hill of Tara, in County Meath, there's a Neolithic passage tomb. It's a large mound of art, which looks similar to Newgrange. It's near it, but it's smaller than Newgrange. And this passage tomb is called the Mound of the Hostages. So this is a, a structure that was built by humans up in County Meath, and they reckon it was built around 3000 BC. So that's 5,000 years old. That's older than the pyramids of Egypt. And this structure, the Mound of the Hostages, demonstrates an understanding of astrology. Like Newgrange, which lets light in in the winter solstice, the Mound of the Hostages lets light in today, February 1st. So there's a little hole in the ceiling which has been perfectly calculated. So when the sun shines today, it lets light into the central tomb. So 5,000 years ago, to the people of Ireland then, that would have let people know, today is the first day of spring, because this building that we have lets light in today, and it illuminates a central bowl in this passage tomb. So today begins the festival of Imbolc. And what we do know about St. Bridget's crosses, these Irish swastika things that are made out of reeds and straw, we know that these are pagan, so they're pre-Christian. So the tradition of making these little crosses out of reeds, that could be five, six thousand years old. And people made these things to protect themselves against the optimism of spring. Winters were very hard five thousand years ago. People didn't have fridges, people didn't have central heating. The food that you ate during winter was what you had saved from the harvest of August. So people were running out of food. And when spring came, it meant new life. There's going to be new crops growing. There's going to be new animals being born. There's going to be milk that comes from the animals that are given birth. We're going to have food and prosperity and sunshine and long days. Spring is here. This is good. So people would make little crosses from straw and hang them above their houses or put them in the thatch of their roofs to protect against evil spirits or bad luck, to protect their lambs, to protect their crops, to solidify the predictability of seasons, to say it's spring. I hope it's the exact same as the spring before and the spring before that. I need to know that spring is going to be the exact same. So I can predict my environment and the animals that live in it and the plants that live in it. I want to predict it exactly. The shit that we're losing right now because of climate change. And something I find quite charming looking back now. Even that, that story about the abusing solvents in the bird sanctuary, which is quite a depressing story if we're being honest. I love the fact that unbeknownst to myself, I made a St. Bridget's cross. 
to protect me. Not to protect me from getting expelled for sniffing petrol. But still, it was serving its purpose 5,000 years on and still being used appropriately as a little object of protection. But the festival of Imbolc, which begins on the 1st of February, the reason it begins on the 1st of February is that it's the festival of the goddess Bridget from Irish mythology. So I'm going back thousands of years now. And Bridget, the goddess, was born on the 1st of February. And her father was a Dagda, which was like a very powerful god. And her mother was the Marigan, which is a goddess of war that took the form of a crow. And Bridget wasn't human. She was a member of a supernatural race called the Tuatha de Danann which were supernatural beings from another dimension, from a separate dimension, like the other reflection of a mirror. They were from the other world. The other world was like a parallel universe. Here's the thing. When you're talking about 5,000 years ago and the, the world that people would have lived in, you might necessarily be talking about a world where linear time exists. Now, I've done an entire podcast on linear time. But linear time is kind of a social construct that you can trace to eschatological Christianity. Like end times Christianity. The world began and the world will end. That's linear time. The people of Pagan Ireland might not have thought about time that way. They might have viewed time as cyclical or eternal. They might have gotten their concepts and lived experience of time from the cycle of the seasons or the cycle of the stars in the sky. And this is where they built passage tombs where the light shines through at certain points in the year. Time to these people might have been a forever revolving, moving thing. So the other world was like a parallel time, outside of time. A different universe that exists underneath or above us at the exact same time. And the Tuatha de Danann were this race of supernatural people that existed in the other world. The other world was also known as Tirnanog, the land of eternal youth. And all around Ireland, wherever there was what was considered a holy well, a natural spring of water, this was considered a passage to the other world. That the spring and the minerals that would come up in the water, that this was knowledge and health passing through from the parallel universe underneath. And when figures from the other world would present themselves in our world, they had to shapeshift. So as I mentioned, Bridget's mother was the Morrigan. So when the Morrigan would present itself in our world, it would be a crow. Same with the fairies that came from the other world. You'd rarely see a fairy. Instead, you'd see a fairy taking the form of an animal. Or, of course, you had the changelings, which is a lot more sad. When maybe an infant died a few thousand years ago, or even up until recently, if, if an infant died and someone, someone's infant was dead, they would say to themselves, this isn't my infant. This is a changeling from the other world. A fairy from the other world has come and stolen my infant and taken it to the other world. 
and left here instead this strange little fairy baby. And this isn't my dead infant, it's a fairy. Or if a loved one became severely mentally ill. That's not my brother, that's not my sister. My real brother and sister has travelled to the other world and a fairy has come and replaced them and left a changeling here with us. But when Bridget was born, the goddess on the 1st of February, where the festival in bulk comes from, she wasn't born here on earth. She was born in the other world. But her mother, Morrigan, wasn't that interested in her. So Bridget was suckled by a cow. So she got her breast milk from a cow that was white that had red ears. And when Bridget was a child, she used to tend to bees. She used to keep beehives. But the beehive was on the other world. And her bees used to be able to travel between dimensions. So Bridget has all these beehives in the other world and they're passing over to our world. And then they're pollinating these orchards and pollinating all the flowers. So this is what the farmers would have told themselves at the time. They're marvelling at these wonderful insects that arrive on their flowers. And suddenly when the insects arrive on their flowers, a few months later fruit grows. And they're trying to understand what the fuck is happening here. This is amazing. So the mythology that they come up with is that our Bridget is in the other world tending to her bees and these are interdimensional bees that come to our world with the knowledge and magic and wisdom of the parallel dimension and they make fruit happen in our trees which I think is just beautiful. I have a story in my last book and the story is called Letter to the Irish Times and it's about a scientist called Dr. Marie Gaffney who writes to the Irish Times because she has a theory about why all the bees are disappearing. Because because of climate change, bees are dying. Like the bees are dying all around us. So in my story, this scientist writes to the Irish Times and posits a theory that in 2012, when the Large Hadron Collider was turned on, it actually caused tiny little black holes, which are rips in the fabric of space and time which is what people were afraid of when they turned on the Large Hadron Collider. But in my story, it caused little black holes to appear on the inside of flowers. And what's happening to the bees is that since 2012, every time a bee goes to a flower, it disappears through the flower into another dimension. So the bees still exist. They're just interdimensional bees. But sometimes they travel back to this dimension and sting people. And when you get stung by an interdimensional bee, the sight of the sting causes a miniature black hole to appear on your own skin and then your body sucks into itself and you travel to another dimension. Except when you're in the other dimension, you're completely inside out with all your organs on the outside and you're forced to wander eternity inside out. So now you know what I was inspired for that idea. I got it from Irish mythology, from the story of the goddess Bridget. And her bees, her interdimensional bees. It's not just me being autistic. Deliberate intertextual dialogue. And when Bridget the goddess got older, because she was from the other world, and creatures from the other world, or people from the other world, had the knowledge of the other world, she had followers, and she would teach them all how to tend to livestock, how to heal each other from herbs that you could find growing, how to be farmers how to live at one with nature 
She brought this knowledge from the other world and gave it to humans. Because she's the goddess of spring. She's the goddess of life. And also, Bridget, she wasn't married to a fella, but she was riding a fella who was a king called Breas. But this king aligned himself with a group of people called the Formorians. Now, in the other world, there was the Tuatha Danann, which were like the goodies. And then there was the Formorians, who were also otherworldly people, but they were like the baddies. And the Formorians and the Tuatha Danann used to have battles. Well, when Bridget was riding this king, who was a worldly king, he was of this world, they had a son called Ruin. And then Ruin joined the Formorians in battle against the Tuatha Dé Danann. And he died on the battlefield. And Bridget went to his body. And she cried over his body. And when she cried, she sang the tears. And there's a type of really, really old type of Irish singing called keening. And keening still exists. It still exists in in funerals in rural Ireland. But this is an ancient type of Irish singing, which is sung by women at funerals. When a person would die, women in Ireland would keen this very specific type of Irish singing. A sad singing which is only done at funerals when someone dies. It's very breathy. You could look up examples of it on YouTube, but the closest example I always like to give is Dolores O'Riordan from the Cranberries, who's from Limerick. When you listen to how Dolores sang and that unique thing in her voice that made the Cranberries music famous worldwide, Dolores sings a little bit like the Irish tradition of keening. Sometimes you'll hear keening in the voice of Enya when Enya sings. Sinead O'Connor does it a little bit too. It's a breathiness, it's a way of pulling the breath whereby that breath causes the notes to vibrate almost like a melisma. So Bridget is credited with, in in mythology, the goddess Bridget is credited with inventing the ancient Irish singing tradition of keening when she sang over her dead son's body during the battle between the Fomorians and the Tuatha Dé Danann. Bridget and her followers maintained an eternal flame, this flame that, and all her followers were women, and they'd, they'd light this fire and you could never let the fire go out, it would stay there for eternity. And this fire would give inspiration to poets and musicians. And she'd protect women in childbirth. And she'd protect animals in childbirth. So my point is is that Bridget was a pagan goddess. A pagan goddess that's present in Irish mythology. That could be several thousand years old. And this Bridget is kind of separate but also the same to Saint Bridget. And I'll speak about that now after the ocarina pause. So it's time now for the ocarina. I'm in my office. I don't have an ocarina, but I do have my Puerto Rican guiro. So I'm going to play this and you're going to hear an advert for something. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, this is an advertisement for better help. I have frequently attended therapy for the past 20 years when I experience anxiety or depression or when I have difficulty naming and labelling my emotions, identifying my emotions, I often seek the help of a professional therapist to improve my emotional literacy. I've attended therapy in person and I've attended therapy online. If online therapy is something you might be interested in, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, flexible and it's suited to your schedule. All you got to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So give it a go. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash That was the Puerto Rican Guairo pause. Support for this podcast comes from you, the listener, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. This podcast is my full time job. This is how I earn a living. This is how I pay my bills. It's how I rent my office. I adore this job. I love preparing this podcast and writing it for you each week. And if this podcast brings you joy, or entertainment, or solace, or distraction, whatever the fuck it is that has you listening to this podcast, please consider becoming a patron. Please consider directly supporting the podcast. All I'm looking for is the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month. If you met me in real life, would you say, fuck it, I listen to his podcasts all the time. I'd buy him a pint. Well, you can, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash podcast. But if you can't afford that, for whatever reason, that's fine. You can listen for free. You can listen for free because the person who is a patron is paying for you to listen for free. So everybody gets a podcast. I get to earn a living. It's a wonderful model based on kindness and soundness. Also, it keeps this podcast fully independent. I get to make what I want to make at the pace that I want to make it. I get to explore what I'm genuinely passionate about each week in the way that I feel is most appropriate. And that's what, that's why you're listening to this podcast. If you're a regular listener, that's the reason. Because I have full creative control over what I do. No advertiser tells me what to speak about, adjust the content in any way. If they try, I can just tell them to fuck off. Because this is a listener-funded podcast. So thank you to all my listeners and support all independent podcasts that you listen to. Because the podcast space is now a heavily corporate space 
where a bunch of bullshit is being made by these giant podcast studios that have money pumped into them and the people making the content don't seem to care about that content. So you get quite a lot of bad content out there that muddies the water for all podcasts and then the passionate small independent podcasts get buried underneath all that support independent podcasts either directly financially or by simply sharing it on your fucking social media telling people about it leaving a review subscribing to that podcast on whatever app you use these are all important things that you can do just going to plug a few live podcasts that are coming up Wednesday the 15th of February which is close enough I'm in Cork in the Opera House the 4th of March I'm in the Waterfront Belfast Wednesday the 22nd of March I'm in Vicker Street Friday the 24th of March I'm in Vicker Street Dublin and then April 1st TLT Theatre Drada all those other gigs there's not a huge amount of tickets left but Drada is the one where I'm under pressure from the promoter to move a few tickets. So if you're near Drada on the 1st of April, please come along to that gig in the TLT Theatre. And then I'm in Canada in April on the 24th and 20th. I think that's nearly fucking sold out, is it? Toronto and Vancouver in Canada in April. So St. Bridget. I spent the first half of the podcast speaking about the goddess Bridget, whose festival in bulk starts at the 1st of February and then next week we've got St. Bridget's Day but who is Bridget and St. Bridget well they're more or less the same person now in my opinion now I'm not a I'm, I'm just a fan of Irish mythology I'm not an academic in my opinion St. Bridget is the most pagan of all the saints of all the Irish Christian traditions the most fucking pagan saint that we have is saint bridget now saint bridget or bridget of kildare as she's known she's from the fifth century now for a long time a lot of people said saint bridget never existed that there was no woman called saint bridget in kildare who became a saint that she was just made up it's a fake person that got made up to personify the goddess bridget but there's a really fascinating academic up in Maynooth University called Dr. Neve Wykerly. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Apologies if it's wrong, but Dr. Neve Wykerly, who has dedicated her academic career to studying Bridget and St. Bridget. And she reckons that St. Bridget was a real person, a real woman that existed in the 5th century. She argues that this idea that Bridget wasn't real is a patriarchal narrative. And by looking at the evidence, there was a family in the 5th century from around Offaly called the Fourth Heart, and that a woman founded a church in Kildare that became incredibly powerful for like a thousand years. And you can trace the lineage and yes, St. Bridget existed and she founded a church. Now back to, back to how does someone like Bridget the Goddess become St. Bridget? And this is now back to my own research that I'm doing as just an artist who loves Irish mythology. Holy wells were really important to the pagan Irish. And I spoke about this before, about the Glen of Madness down in Kerry. 
but holy wells were just natural springs and natural springs brought water up from under the earth and they were associated with health and healing and people thousands of years ago in Ireland would gather around these holy wells for the restorative properties like down in Glownnagelt in Kerry there was the holy well that apparently cured people of mental illness and then they found traces of lithium in that well so it's possible that people with bipolar disorder were getting little bits of lithium from this water and living better lives. Also there's other wells where sulphur is present in the water and this was helpful to people's skin if they had skin conditions. So natural springs bring minerals and nutrients up from the bottom of the earth to the surface water of this spring and if you're living a couple of thousand years ago where you mightn't have full nutrition from your diet a natural spring will bring you health so people would gather around these natural springs and worship them because they thought that this spring was a portal to the other world to the other dimension and the bubbles that would come up from this natural spring was wisdom and health from the other world and then this would transfer to all the trees and the bushes that grew around that spring so the earliest Christian missionaries in Ireland in the 500s they would teach about Christ around springs because this is where pagan people were going for their spirituality so the Christian teachers would just find people gathering around these areas and convert them to Christianity and not only convert them to Christianity but bring elements of their pagan beliefs into the new Christian belief and this is what made Irish Christianity so unique and so fucking brilliant like I'm talking about before the Norman invasion of the 1100s when the Brits invaded us in the 1100s part of that was to make Irish Christianity be more in line with Roman teachings because because for the previous 600 years Irish Christianity really incorporated a lot of Irish paganism and Irish Christianity in the golden age of Irish Christianity it was fucking mad it was hilarious the stories of all the saints contained these wild supernatural stories and they took bits from Irish mythology and Christianity in Ireland was treated as an art form you could worship through acts of creativity through storytelling illuminated gospels Irish monasteries became famous all over the known world at the time we were the land of saints and scholars people would come to Ireland from European countries or from the caliphate the Islamic caliphate of Spain would come to Ireland to study in our monasteries it was a time of learning and creativity and art which in my opinion brought in the the silliness and flexibility and fun of the Irish oral tradition of storytelling and that's how you get mad shit like the story of Brendan and the whale meeting Judas Iscariot on an island and giving communion wafer to a whale and when you you have stories of the saints like a a story about Saint Bridget which contained the, the wonderful hyperbole that you find in Irish mythology hyperbole being ridiculous hilarious exaggerations like there's a story that in in the the fifth century when when Bridget was founding her monastery in Kildare she went to the king of Leinster and asked the king of Leinster for some land 
to found her monastery. And the king of Leinster says, fuck off. I'm a pagan. I don't, I don't give, you're not getting any land to found a monastery. And then Bridget goes back to him and she says, okay, will you give me land for my monastery? But only as much land as my cloak will cover. So the king of Leinster looks at St. Bridget and he sees that she's wearing a tiny little cloak and he laughs and he goes, all right, so lay your cloak on the ground and I'll give you that land. And then Bridget takes off her cloak and as she unrolls it, it stretches out for fucking miles. This big, long, magical cloak. And then she goes, there's my land. And the King of Leinster witnesses this miracle and converts to Christianity and gives St. Bridget all that land. But what you have there is an example of hyperbole. Great exaggeration of a hero's abilities, which is something you see a lot in the Irish mythological storytelling tradition. And what you get with the story of St. Bridget is on the one hand, you have these clearly Christian stories that are about her generosity and about how kind she is. And there's stories of miracles she performs that are quite similar to like Christ with the loaves and the fishes. Like she could turn water into beer and then everyone would have beer. And she can create endless amounts of butter for people who are hungry. And if someone is sick, she can cure them. And these miracles that you hear, they sound quite Christian. We're familiar with this type of Christian miracle from the Bible. But then you have other stories about St. Bridget that have that obscure, ridiculous, surreal madness that you find in Irish mythology. So you go from loaves and fishes to one story where St. Bridget's father tries to marry her off to a man. She's like, no, I don't want to be married off to some man. I'm St. Bridget, I've got a higher calling. I want to found a monastery. I don't want to be married off to some lad. So what St. Bridget does on the altar when she's about to get married, she rips out her eye to make herself unattractive so that the man won't marry her. So she rips the eye out of her head. The man runs off. He goes, I'm not fucking, I'm not marrying this woman who just ripped her eye out at the altar. And the man's gone. Bridget performs a miracle and her eye grows back into her head. <laughs> and that story's from an illuminated manuscript called the Book of Lismore. And then there's another story where St. Bridget is there in Kildare in her monastery. And Brendan the Navigator, the fellow who went off sailing all around the world, Brendan the Navigator comes to Kildare to visit Bridget and he's jealous. And she's like, why are you jealous, Brendan? Because I was out travelling the seas and I met a sea monster and the sea monster was talking about you and not me. So that's what you get from the wonderful story of St. Bridget. The very Christian, compassionate messages that we know from the Bible about generosity and healing and caring for the poor. And then these other fucking batshit mad stories that you get from Irish mythology all mixed into the one figure. And that's St. Bridget, who's also the goddess Bridget from 6,000 years ago was also a real person that definitely founded a monastery in Kildare who's a very important person in Irish history who we celebrate St. Bridget's Day for and I'm not into Catholicism I'm certainly not into the the institution of the Catholic Church who caused great fucking harm in Ireland enabled by the state with you know clerical fucking abuse abuse of children mistreatment oppression I'm no fucking fan of that shit. 
and I'm pissed off and angry that Catholic teaching was a part of my childhood in school for so many years. But through my love of art and storytelling and history, I can certainly find a way to love and respect and cherish something like the tradition of Bridget and how relevant it is today, particularly with Bridget and St. Bridget being so entwined with spring and the predictability and the cyclical nature of spring and how that's now disappearing, how seasons are changing in a 6,000-year-old history, a 6,000-year-old narrative. Now we're here at the end and the seasons are changing before our eyes. So I like to embrace Bridget in that way from an ecological point of view, from a nature point of view, from something that's much more about art that I can feel between my fingers when I stick my hands into the fucking ground here in Limerick. So that was my little podcast about Bridget and Irish mythology. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it did it justice. I hope it did Bridget justice. I'll be back next week with probably another hot take. I don't know. Wink at a crow. Lick a worm. Give nuts to a squirrel. Go fuck yourselves. Dog bless. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 